would find with me 2 Samuel chapter 9 as we are going verse by verse. And as you're finding that, I have a card I'd like to read to you. To thank you for your kindness and sympathy at a time when it was deeply appreciated from the family of Robert Schuster. Ten Mile Church family, thank you for the lantern and for all your thoughts and prayer at Dad's passing. And that's from Donnie, Sandy Schuster, and their family. This morning I want to talk to you about what real love looks like. What real love looks like. We're living in a day and age that love is a word that is sometimes thrown around too often and sometimes not said enough. It is a word that has been um, taken to use all kinds of things. For instance, uh, I'm loving it, right? Is, uh, if you're not familiar with that, you've lived under a rock. But yet, when you think about fast food, it's probably not something that you would say you love like you do in comparison to your spouse. But yet, love is something that has been used to sometimes describe lust. Sometimes it's been used to describe love. And sometimes it's been used to regard sin. And so what does real love look like in a day and age when people say they love, they don't say they love, they have twisted love? In 2 Samuel chapter 9, it is almost like a diamond in the rough if you've been with us in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6, 7, 10, 8, uh, all around here are chapters full of death. They're full of war, they're full of battles, they're full of God's judgment. But right here in chapter 9, we see this beautiful picture of how a king loves someone who doesn't deserve it. And this morning, I hope that you will see as we have partaken of the Lord's Supper... We have spent all of this time worshiping a king who loves us when we did not deserve it. And so as we look at this this morning, uh, David has been victorious. David has been successful. David has accomplished everything that he could want to accomplish. But yet he has finally been able to kind of step back from the war and the diplomacy and all that has been going on and focus on internal matters. Things that happen. And this morning I want you to know, friends, that you will go through seasons where it feels like you just have your head above water. You will go through seasons where it seems like at work and at home and at church and in relationships that you are fighting battles continuously. And it's like out of, of one battle into the next. And it's how can this never seem to have peace? But friends, in other times in your life, you will step back and feel... A moment of victory. A moment of, I feel like I can breathe. And in those moments, you need to reflect on what matters the most. Reflect on what God has done. And so I'm not going to read this whole chapter just to start, because there's quite a bit here. But if you would, pray with me, and we'll jump right in. Father, this morning I pray that you would help us, Lord, to focus on who you are this morning. Not my shortcomings, not my failures. God, not the difficulties that we're having, but God, that we can turn our eyes to you. Father, I pray this morning that you would help me to explain and to, uh, Lord, just share what your word says. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only he can do. Convict and work and move in the hearts and lives of your people. 
Father, I pray for those that are here today that could not take the Lord's Supper, whether it is they do not know you. For God, there is something in their life that was keeping it from happening. So, Father, I just give you thanks and praise this morning and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so what does real love look like? The first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, is real love makes us want to live differently. Real love makes us want to live differently. I have been told uh, by people that they love me, and that after they have treated me a certain way, I realize something. Their definition of love and mine are different. And this morning, no matter how old you are, you have either experienced that or you have been guilty of it. You've told someone you love them, but then when things got difficult, it changed. Or someone told you that they loved you, and when you realized as time went on that their love and yours was not different. And so starting here in verse 1, let's look what the Word of God says. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Those three words are very important. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba the king said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lo-debar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lo-debar. You see here that David, after he is victorious, after he has finally defeated his enemies, realizes something. I made a promise to Jonathan, and I made a promise to Saul that I would not eradicate their descendants. I wouldn't wipe them off of the face of the earth. I wouldn't treat them like every other royal dynasty that has ever existed in history. If you study anything about history at all, when one royal family loses power, it is it is absolutely necessary that the new family remove all threats, all claims to the throne from this earth. You can read about it in every country that's ever had a monarchy, that's ever went from a monarchy to a, a different form of government. You can read about the uh, a revolution in France. You can read about the revolution in Russia. You can see it that you always have to not only throw off the oppression, but remove the situation that might come in the future. And what is that? That if you don't eradicate your enemy, they might regroup and come back. And so from the world standpoint, from logic standpoint, it is Saul and his descendants are the enemy. They are the threat to David's throne. They are the threat to David's lineage. They are the threat to what God is trying to do. But David says, God already made me a promise. This is not a battle I have to fight. This is not something I have to handle. And so he says, is there anyone left 
from Saul's family that I can be kind to, that I can show mercy to. There in verse 3, it says the kindness of God. And that's the same thing that we read about in the Bible that talks about the kindness or mercy of God that He shows to us. Us who are unmerited, that we do not deserve it. It's a kind of mercy and grace that is unfailing. It's a kind of mercy and grace that we don't seek after on our own. And what he says is, I want to be merciful and kind and loving to my enemy and his family. You see, real love makes us want to live differently. And so, back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, I want you to see how Jonathan and David had made this covenant. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting in verse 15, the Bible says, But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now David, now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Jonathan says, I know that God is going to give you the victory, David. And I know that God is going to remove every enemy that you face, David. I know that God is going to establish you and uplift you and build you up. But when that happens, remember me. Remember my family. Remember my offspring. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 21, we see this again. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me. And that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. You see, David loved Jonathan. He didn't know Mephibosheth. He had been hurt by Saul. He had been betrayed by Saul. He had been married to Saul's daughter. All of these things. And most of us would say there has been too much hurt, too much pain, too much difficulties for us to love and to forgive and to show kindness. But what we see here from David is that real love is not dependent upon how someone treats me. Real love is not dependent on what I can get from someone. Real love is modeled by the fact that God loved us. That God needed us not. That there was nothing we could offer to God that would ever make a difference to Him because He has everything. But even though He has everything and that He is perfect and that He is holy and that He is righteous and that He is all-powerful, He says, I love you. Sinful, broken people. And David says, I want to show the kindness of God to someone in Saul's family. And so this servant says there is one. He's crippled. If you remember anything about what happened to Mephibosheth as his uh, was being carried as a young child, he was dropped and he became lame. And so I want you to think about this this morning, that he had nothing to offer David. He couldn't serve in the army. He couldn't work the land. He he could not offer anything to David, but yet David, because of a promise he had made, because of love that he had had, said, I am going to show kindness to this man. The second thing I want to show you this morning is real love 
is lived out regardless of what someone can do for us. Real love is lived out regardless of what someone can do for us. Look what it says here in verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. I want to stop right there because even though we know what David's motives were, even though we know what David's motives were, do you think Mephibosheth might have been thinking, every other king in human history has found their enemies and their descendants and wiped them off the face of the earth? Maybe Ziba told him that David wants to be kind to you. We don't know that. But even if Ziba had told Mephibosheth that, I am guessing that Mephibosheth was a little gun-shy. That he was a little worried about what's David really going to do when he finds me. I mean, he came and found me in the middle of nowhere where I was living off of someone else being cared for and the king wants to see me. But look what it goes on and says. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. David says, not only am I going to spare your life, not only am I going to be kind to you, I'm going to give you everything back to you that belonged to your grandfather. I'm going to be a blessing to you. Now, I think this is important because this morning we live in a world that only rewards those who can bless us. You see it in politics, right? I get you elected. I expect bills and legislation that cater to the people that got me where I am. You see it in work. You see people who get promotions that don't deserve promotions all because they either go out and drink with the boss or they play golf together, right? They do this together or whatever it is. And so the people that are the worst usually move up the ladder the fastest. And if you've got a promotion, I'm not saying you're worthless. Please don't think that. But I'm just saying the world that we live in, that's what it's like. It's all about who you know, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. But yet David is moved by his love from Jonathan, his love of God, and says this man who can do nothing for me, who can reward me in no way, deserves kindness and mercy from me. Friends, this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. Many times we hear people say, well, I'm a pretty good person, or I deserve the love of God, or God is lucky to have me. But friends, the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. There is nothing that we have that we can offer to God that would honor Him on our own. There is nothing good in us. We are all sinners that deserve an eternity away from God. We are all sinners that deserve the judgment of God. But yet God loved us. And as believers, we need to be reminded of this. When we begin to think highly of ourselves, when we begin to think that my opinion matters more than yours, when we begin to think that I am more important than you, 
Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36, Jesus said it like this. But love your enemies. Now, there are a few things in Scripture that I disagree with God on. The first is do all things without complaining. I want you not to complain, but I love to complain. I love to complain about everything. The weather. I can't get no control of the weather. I love to complain about everything, and God has to convict me. I love to fight my own battles when I can fight however I want. But yet God says, be still. And this is in the top three. But love your enemies. Had a believer one time tell me, well, I have no problem loving my enemies. And in my mind, what I wanted to say is, no, but you've got a huge problem with lying. Because there is not one of us that wakes up in the morning and says, I am so lucky. I am so blessed. I am so thankful for the person who hurt me the most. That's not how we're wired. That's not how the heart is. The flesh says, I'll rejoice if you fall down a flight of stairs and hurt me. The flesh says, you got what was coming to you. But Jesus says, but love your enemies. Now, most of us, if we've been in church long enough, says, I'm working on that. I can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. But God doesn't just tell you to love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And that word for hoping means expecting. You see, friends, I believe we've lost it. I believe we've lost what God has said on loving our enemies. I would much rather avoid you than speak to you if I don't like you. I would much rather avoid you than speak to you if I disagree with you. But yet Jesus said, but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And most of us stop right there and we're so angry that we don't listen to what God says. But God made this the beginning of a promise. And what most of the time happens is we are robbing ourselves of a blessing that God has in store for us because we won't trust him. This morning, I want you to know something. I don't know who your enemy is. I don't know whose enemy you are. I don't know what hurt and pain you have this morning. But I can promise you somewhere in your heart, it's there. And Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend hoping for nothing in return. And then... It says, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. You say, Jake, but what I want you to hear is this. When you cannot forgive someone. And you cannot love someone. And you cannot do your best to be kind even though they deserve it. What you really don't realize is you are not only having to deal with that the first time. You are robbing what God has in store for you. And so that person that you hate, that person that has hurt you, that person that you can't stand, and I know what's happening right now, all the halos are popping out. You've all been wronged. You've never wronged anyone. Look up here. That's not true. We've all hurt people. We've all been unfaithful. We've all been disloyal. We've all said something we shouldn't. We've all slandered someone's reputation. All of us have been there. 
But friends, this morning, whatever you are going through, you don't want to not only have to go through the original pain, but to turn around and rob yourself of what God wants to do. You have let that person not only steal your joy, but steal your future joy. You've not only allowed that person to hurt you today, you've allowed them to rob for you what God has in store for you tomorrow. I believe this could not be more seen in the life of churches. Churches get upset, they get bent out of shape, they get into disagreements, they fight, they all these things. And what happens is they cannot forgive They cannot love. They cannot do good to one another. And what happens is the reward that God has in store for tomorrow for the church is no longer there. And friends, for my children, in sake of what God is doing, I want God's mercy. I want God's grace. I want God's long-suffering kindness. And he says, I must show it to others. The third and final thing this morning is this. Real love will make a difference in the lives of others. I've been in church a long time now, my whole life, which is not as long as some of you have been alive, but it's, it's a long time. And uh, we talk about love. We sing about love. We think about love. But I ask you this morning, does what you say about love impact anyone's life at all does it make a difference in the lives of anyone else because starting here in verse 8 it goes on to say then he bowed himself and said what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I and the king called to Ziba Saul's servant and said to him I have given to your master's son All that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's son. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate constantly at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. I don't want you to miss the significance of this this morning. Mephibosheth was a broken man who had nothing to offer, but not only was his possessions restored, his blessings were restored, he was brought into a relationship with the king that he could not earn. He was at the king's table as one of the king's own sons. And friends, this morning the Christian faith revolves around this one simple truth. That you and I were enemies of God. We were on the outside looking in. But through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I can be adopted into his family. I can be a son of God 
Not the Son of God, but a joint heir with Jesus. I can have the blessings, the privilege of knowing Him, having a relationship with Him, having fellowship with Him, having the ability through what Jesus did to approach Him as Abba, Father. Friends, yet I had nothing to give. And so what we see here is David extending mercy and grace, but it is a picture of what Jesus does for us. And this morning you'll hear people say, not necessarily here, but that you know what, as long as you're good enough, or as long as you try hard enough, or as long as we all just believe, then God understands and accepts and welcomes us. But friends, the Bible teaches a totally different thing. That we are on the outside looking in. That we are crippled. That we are blind. That we are maimed by sin. That it has corrupted everything about us. But yet there is a king. The king of kings. The lord of lords. Who loved us so much. And had such mercy and grace. In our hopeless situation. That he said I am not only going to come to you. And bring you to my table. I am going to come. I am going to sacrifice myself. I am going to take on your sin. And your shame. And your punishment. I am going to die in your place. I am going to be buried. I am going to rise from the dead. So that you can be entered into the very family of God and forever someday eat at the king's table. You see, that's why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and that no man cometh to the Father except through the Son. Because, friends, you cannot have a relationship with the king if you're not royalty. You cannot eat at the king's table if you are not invited By the master of the house. But you say, Jake, I know I'm saved. What does that mean for me? That means that you are to be allowing the love of God to transform you as you love other people. 1 Timothy chapter 6 describes it like this. Command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. I don't want you to miss that. He says, if God has blessed you, enjoy it. If God has blessed you, he's talking about material things right here. If God has blessed you financially, do not believe what the political party that is trying to take everything from you that says you're evil and wrong. God says, enjoy it, you're blessed. But he also says, be very careful that it doesn't become what you put all your trust in. Be very careful that you don't walk into church thinking, ooh, look what I can drive. Look what I own. Look where I live. Look at what God has done for me. So be very careful this morning because the same Bible that tells us to be humble says to be thankful. But listen to what it says in verse 18. You say, well, Jake, I've got a lot of of money. You're preaching to me. That's not my problem. Give it all away. Then you won't have a lot of money. Then you won't feel guilty when I preach to you. You say, Jake, I don't have a lot of money. Well, maybe God will bless me with it later. I don't know. Maybe you're like me. God knows you would waste it on all kinds of stupid things, so he doesn't give it to you. But in verse 18, it says, let them do good. 
that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. You say, wait a second, Jake, if I give all my money away, that says I'll have eternal life? Absolutely not. There's only one way to have eternal life, and his name is Jesus. But friends, I'm telling you what, there's going to be a whole lot of people that think they love God and split hell wide open because they loved the things of this world. That's why Jesus said it's easier for a rich man to enter, uh, a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nothing wrong with wealth. Nothing wrong with God's blessings. But if God has raised you up in any way, it was not for you to bring glory to yourself. But it was you to use that to extend kindness and mercy to others. You say, well, Jake, what does that mean for me at work? If God has raised you up at work to a place of power and influence, you should not use that just to get ahead. You ought to use that to make a difference in someone else's life. You say, Jake, what about um, we're at a, a place with our time. We've got a lot of time now that we've retired or, or we've got a different job. And, and, and how should I use that free time? Should I, should I buy a boat and a camper and 17 horses and 13 dirt bikes and four go-karts and, and just enjoy the world? And I don't, probably not. You ought to use that time to serve others through serving the Lord. You say, Jake, you're meddling this morning. I Just take it for what it's worth. But what we see here is David was raised to the throne. And in that moment of his being exalted, he used it to reach down to the one who needed it the most. And so this morning, friends, if you're here and you're lost, I want you to know something. God is willing to reach down to you. If you're here today and you have never trusted in him as the Lord and Savior of your life, you are his enemy. But you can be welcome to his table. You might be fighting against the things that God wants for your life. But this morning I want you to know that he has already overcome every battle and every enemy through the cross. You say, Jake, I know I'm saved. I know I'm born again. Then I would say this morning to you the greatest piece of advice I can give to you is even though you might not call him an enemy, there's probably someone in your life that you view even deep in your heart as an enemy. There's probably someone that you're holding on to unforgiveness to. Maybe there's someone that you know that, that you've hurt, but yet you are grandstanding as a victim. Friends, all of us can be in those situations. But don't rob the blessing that God has for you over what has gone on in your life. Today, come to him and say, God, set me free. Help me to forgive. Help me to love. God, help me to use the blessings that you've given me to make a difference in the lives of other people. This morning, the choice is yours. I can't do it for you, and you can't do it for me. But through the power of God, you and I can show what real love looks like to a world that needs it desperately. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, uh, I just thank you in all of this, God, to know what we need. And so, Lord, I don't know today what relationships people are struggling with. God, I don't know today what sin people are struggling with. But, God, today I know that you do. So, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to work in hearts this morning. Right now, Father, that you, through this sermon, 
have been convicting and dealing, God, not because of my words, but because of yours. God, help us if we've grown cold to show compassion that today would be the day. God, if we've grown cold due to holding on to grudges, that today would be the day that we would lay them down. But Father, most importantly this morning, God, I pray for that man, woman, boy, or girl that's here today and is lost, that doesn't know you, but yet, Lord, they're sitting here today under conviction, knowing they are a sinner, knowing they need you. God, today I pray that whether they're a church member, whether they've been baptized eight times, God, whether they have everyone else convinced that today, God, they would step out. They would come and say, I'm lost. I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. God, help us to be a church that celebrates what you're doing in people's life. God, help us to be a church that welcomes and encourages response. And God, that we would just give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. And God, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.